So we're looking in the scripture today in the book of Revelation. We've been in this series called Together, where we are studying the things that we do when we gather together on Sunday morning. We've already talked about that you and I have a responsibility when we gather to encourage, to stir one another up, to love and good works. We've talked about why do we study the scripture. We've talked about why do we give generously to the church. We talked last week about why we take the Lord's Supper, and today we're going to talk about why and how we worship. Now, when we talk about worship, most of us are immediately thinking the musical part of a Sunday morning, but of course, the Bible would tell us that worship is a lot bigger than that. In fact, in Hebrews, it tells us two things that worship uh, is uh, and does. It says that true worship is a sacrifice of praise, so that includes the singing. We praise God, but it's also doing good to other people. So when you serve somebody, you are worshiping. When you give generously, you are worshiping. When you help uh, somebody find a job, you are worshiping. So worship is bigger than the musical part, but the musical part is a very important idea in the scripture. A little confession this morning. I have always wished that God would have invited me to be a worship leader instead of a preacher. Because they just look so cool doing it, don't they? I mean, they strap on those guitars and cello for crying out loud. I would just wear the cello around if I could play the cello and the drums. I mean, it just doesn't get any cooler than that. And, and you know, a preacher is like uh, the necessary part of church. That's how you think about preaching. It's the necessary. It is the medicine of the church experience. I'm sure it's good for us, but it always tastes pretty gross. So I've always wished that I had been a part of the musical experience. So when I was a young man, I learned to play the guitar. And, um, and uh, so I learned. And learned is a term I'm using loosely, of course. One time I was at a church camp with a bunch of friends and we were gathered together in somebody's room and just, just really just talking about all that God was doing. And I had brought my guitar along because if you know how to play the guitar, the only reason for learning to play the guitar as a young man is to show people that you know how to play the guitar. So I had brought it along to church camp and I had it out and I know like two songs and I'm just repeating those two songs over and over again, just adjusting the tempo so people don't really recognize that I'm playing the same two songs over and over again and we're talking about all that God is doing in our lives this week at camp and it's just a really cool moment and one of the ladies that was in the room young lady she just launches into one of the songs that we had been singing this worship song and and it was really beautiful and the most beautiful part about it is that was one of the songs that I knew I knew two songs and she's singing one of the songs and so I come in with some accompaniment and I'm thinking I'm living my dream right now you know (laughs) This is a powerful moment of worship, and I get to be a part of it, and I'm playing this instrument. This is the beginning of my future. This is an awesome thing. And uh, we sing the song. Everybody's involved. There's just really just powerful moment of genuine, responsive worship in this hotel room that we're in. And we get to the end of the song. She and I kind of land the plane together, which was a cool moment. And so we're talking about what are we going to sing next, and it's just a little conversation, real authentic conversation, and one of my friends turned to me and says, hey, as we begin this next song, can you not play? <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. So that was the beginning and the end. I mean, dreams were squashed right there. But musical worship is a huge part of the scripture. And worship is the soundtrack of the story of God. In fact, you would find it hard to find books of the Bible and important moments in the scripture where music 
And praise and worship was not a part of it. And I want to show you something that didn't happen in the past. It's going to happen in the future. And hopefully you and I will be a part of it. Revelation chapter 7. Just to set this section of Revelation in its proper chronology as best we can understand. God has been preparing his people for tribulation, for trouble, for battle. There is the battle And Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 is after the battle. And God and his people were victorious. And this is the celebration, verse 9 of Revelation 7. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. Saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So here in this worship moment, our people... From every nation, tribe, peoples, and languages. So what that means is that since the moment Jesus gave those original 11 disciples the Great Commission, disciples have been obeying. You remember the commission. Go into Jerusalem, go into Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Baptizing and discipling. And people have been doing that. That's how you and I got here. And this shows us that Jesus' mission was successful. There are followers and believers from every corner of the world. Now that hasn't happened yet. There's a a group of people outside of uh, Paris. I'm not going to pronounce their names right. uh, But it uh, it starts with S. It's S-H-A-W-I-Y-A. It's a people group, and as best as we can tell, there is no active follower of Jesus among this people outside of Paris, France. There's a group outside of Istanbul, the Zaza people. And as far and as best as we can tell, there is no active follower of Jesus among them, but there will be one day. There will be one day because there will be people uh, from the Zaza people group represented around the throne of God and around the Lamb. So Jesus' mission was successful. And you'll also, maybe this spurs up a story in, in your mind. This is a reversal, a redemption of what happened at the Tower of Babel. Genesis chapter 11, you remember that story The flood has happened, people have begun to multiply, 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 but they all gather together in this plain of Shinar. And it says, now the whole earth had one language and the same words, Genesis 11, and as the people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build uh, ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. 
And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. So this moment in Revelation is a redemption of what happened in Babel. These people gather together and they say, we all speak one language. Let's build a tower up into the heavens. And it was an evil motive that they had. Essentially, let's just essentially begin become people that worship ourselves. Let's build a monument to us. And God looks down and says, they all speak the same language. There will be no evil that is impossible for them. And so he disperses them and he gives them all different languages. But this moment in Revelation is the redemption of that. So at one time, humanity gathered in the name of pride. There will come a moment where humanity gathers in the name of the one on the throne and in the name of the Lamb. It's a redemption, it's a reversal, an undoing of what had happened. And it says in Revelation 7 that they have palm branches. Two times in the scripture, in the New Testament, palm branches are referenced once here and once when Jesus was having his triumphant entry into Jerusalem his last week before he was crucified and resurrected. And then in verse 10, it says that the angels... And the elders and the four living creatures get involved. Verse 11, And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. And here's how they worshipped, with just a few words, saying, Amen, blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. A few things I would love for you to write down on our way out this morning. First, worship is a song of trust. Worship is a song of trust. Look at how this song that they were singing begins and ends. They say, Amen. And then at the end of verse 12, they say, Amen again. Amen is not just the period at the end of prayer. Just, it's a, just a warning to everybody. I just finished praying. You didn't know it was confusing But I said amen and now I'm done. It's also the cue to kind of pay back attention at church sometimes, right? The the pastor starts praying and I start zoning out and he says amen and I'm back. Boom. But amen means more than that. It means let it be. When you say amen, what you are saying is everything that was said before this moment, let it be. I agree with that. Let that happen. And so the song starts with amen and it ends with amen, and he says wisdom in here. Amen, blessing, glory, and wisdom. It says in the scripture, with wisdom, God fashioned the earth. With wisdom, he is executing his plan. And we look at his wisdom, we look at his plan, we look at all he's made, and we say amen. We say, let it be. The people in Babel, what did they say? They said, we want to build a tower so we can make a name for ourselves, but there was a fear behind it. Lest we be dispersed. So they say, let's build a monument to our pride. 
because we're afraid that if we don't, we're going to lose, we're going to miss out, we are going to be taken advantage of, we're going to be without. But a, a song of worship is a song of trust. It's saying to God, I, I don't know the future and I don't know what will happen, but I say, let it be. See, a true place of worship is one where I have yielded to God's plan, even if I don't know the outcome of the plan. See, there's a misunderstanding, and I think a lot of people have about church. You come to church with all of your problems and with all of your anxiety and all of your stress. You're fighting with your mom and dad. You are fighting with your kids. You're fighting with your neighbors. You have stress at work. It's not going well. We've got all this stuff. There are results that are coming or have come or we're waiting on. And, 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 and we have all that in the parking lot. But when you come into the church building, then you push pause on all of that. And then we start to sing. And we sing as though none of that stuff exists. And then we uh, study the scripture together. And then church is over. And we leave. And we push unpause. And all that anxiety and all that stress and all that stuff comes back on us. But what we're supposed to do at church is pretend that none of that is real. So that's why we look at one another as we're singing or as we're at church and as we're having conversations and we go, man, I wish my life were as easy as that person's life. Or I wish my life was on the uptick like that person's life is on the uptick, but it's not. My life is hard and real. But true worship is not putting pause on reality. It's saying to God, I trust you even in the middle of reality. So if today you're filled with stress and anxiety and fear, so is everyone else. We all have that temptation in us to say, let me build this, let me do this, lest fill in the blank. But true worship says, I I don't know what's going to happen and I'm not going to suspend reality, but God, I trust you. And and God does use worship, musical worship, to build that trust in us and to bring us to places of trust. I remember when I was a younger man, God was beginning to lay the burden of full-time vocational ministry on me. We're all ministers. We all have a ministry, but God, I think, pulls some out to say minister to the church. And and I was in a season of my life where I knew that God was speaking to me, but I just couldn't make out what he was saying. I don't know if you've ever been in that moment. I describe it as when somebody is talking underwater, you can hear the noise, but you can't make out the words. And, and so I'd been journeying with God for months and months and months and really grown to a place of frustration because I was saying to God, I want to know. I don't understand why you won't make it clear uh, to me. And, and I thought maybe, maybe this is this ministry thing. Maybe that is what he's saying, but I, I'm not sure. I, I wanted a, a sign to come down or a thus saith the Lord or an audible voice and, and he just wasn't working like that and I was remember I was at a, a church experience and we were singing a song we were singing that old hymn I Surrender All and we're in the middle of singing it and I'm thinking about all these things and I'm thinking about how stressed I am that I can't understand God and it was like just clarity happened in my mind and it was like yes ministry is the plan that I have for your life and then I'm singing a song about surrendering and I didn't feel like I had much option at that moment you know it was kind of Like you don't get the clarity and then sing the song of surrender and say, well, let me pray about it for a little bit longer. But just in worship, it was like, yeah, okay, I surrender to this. I don't know what the outcome is and uh, um, I don't know what that means for my life, but I surrender. I trust you in it. 
And that didn't just happen to me. I was talking with one of our church members uh, a couple, uh, about a month ago, he, he emailed me and said, hey, can we go to lunch? He started telling me a story. And a few months ago, he was in the middle of church and singing a song of worship. And in the middle of it, God began to speak to him and said, I want you to move back to New York. That's where he's from. And I want you and your wife and your family, I want you guys to start a church right there in Queens where you're from. Right in the middle of worship. He wasn't looking for it. It wasn't a goal. It wasn't on his bucket list. Just clarity right in the middle of worship. And, and so he spent a few months just testing that and making sure and seeking wise counsel. And they moved last week back up to Queens to start a church. Because worship and trust are connected. And, and if you're having a hard time trusting, then you're going to have a hard time worshiping. Next thing that I want you to see, worship is a song of thanks. Worship is a song of thanks. So he says, amen, let it be. We've seen wisdom, the plan of God. And he says, blessing, which may be translated in your Bible, praise. Blessing, and, and then later on, thanksgiving. Psalm 103, verse 2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. You know, most of us lack faith because we lack the discipline to remember. Poor memory erodes faith. God has done so much for us in the past that we've stopped and celebrated and then forgotten about. God has done more than enough in your rearview mirror for you to drive another mile down his road. Worship is a song of thanks. We need to remember. Worship is an opportunity to remember. There's a pattern in the Psalms that's pretty frequent. There'll be an expression of praise, and then the psalmist will say for, and then he will list the reason for praise. Like in Psalm 92, verse 1, it says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning, and your faithfulness by night to the music of the lute and the harp, uh, to the melody of the lyre, verse 4. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. And then the next page, Psalm 95, verse 1. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise, verse 3. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. He does it again in verse six. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture. Psalm 96, the same thing happens. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. So when we sing songs, what we're doing is we're taking the opportunity to express our praise. And then what needs to happen mentally is we need to go for and then fill in all the reasons why we are singing this praise. So when we sing a song like Good, Good Father, that is an expression, an exclamation of praise. And it's a big statement. God is a good, good father. And when I'm singing that line, in between the lines, mentally we need to go, for 
he has provided for me all my days, just like a father. Four, he has protected me. Uh, it's been a hard road, but I'm still here, so he is a good, good, God, good, good father. Four, he has comforted me in my distress, and all this is happening while I'm singing this song, infusing it with meaning. Otherwise, it will just be a mechanical lyric and melody. And really what it will be is will be me being a spectator of someone else's authentic worship by, but missing out on my own. Because worship is a song of thanks. And the music gives us the opportunity. Number three, worship is a song about God's glory. Amen, blessing, and glory. Wisdom, thanksgiving, and honor. Glory and honor. How, how do I give God glory? God is glorious, and giving him glory is just an acknowledgement of his glory. It's what you were made to do. Psalm, or excuse me, Isaiah 43. It says in verse 7, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This is what you were made to do. If you're wondering, you know, what's the purpose of my life? This is the purpose of your life. This is why you were created. This is why you were formed in your mother's womb. This is why God instituted the scientific process which brought you to light, all under his power for his glory, called by his name. And what is happening in worship is the song of glory that I'm singing and a heart that wants to glorify God come together. And when those two things come together, the song and the heart, there's very few things more powerful and effective in our lives. Just a little over a week ago, a young woman in our church, in her early 30s, mother of four, had been having pretty significant headaches for a long time. And she finally decided enough was enough and went to the doctor. They found a tumor inside her brain and immediately surgery was the option and, and they're very plugged in family at our church and so people just started reaching out, reaching out, reaching out, reaching out. And, and so when you know somebody's reached out, you want the update and you say, well, how are they doing? And the thing that kept coming back was great. This is a weird thing to say that feels weird, but they're doing great. I went to encourage them, they encouraged me. I went to speak into their faith. They're speaking into my faith. I want to build them up and somehow mysteriously I'm being built up. They're very aware of all the risks and all the things. It's very, very serious and no one's more in tune with that than them. But something unique was happening. And when you started kind of pulling back the layers and you would sit with them for a moment, it was this idea. They were saying as radical and as odd as it is, God is going to use this for his glory. On the eve of brain surgery, they're saying God is going to use this for his glory. And it was blank check. It wasn't God is going to be glorified as long as everything comes out fine. Or God is going to be glorified if when they go in there, there's mysteriously no tumor anymore. It was just God is going to be glorified. And people were coming away, blown away by that attitude. Because they had come to terms with Isaiah 43 that my life and your life and their life only exist for the glory of God. And my enjoyment comes way down the list 
after that and my goals and my happiness and my to-do list and my bucket list, all of that is way down the list after I exist for God's glory. But that's something only you can say for yourself. No one else can say it for you. You have to come to those moments in life where you go, no, my life is not for me. It's not about what happens to me. All glory and honor go to God. Which is hard for us. It's hard for us because there's always that thing in us that wants to build a tower and monument in our name. It's in you and it's in me. Our lives are filled with towers to make a name for ourselves. And we can use anything. We, we can use that home that we live in as a monument to my name. You can use those kids as a monument to your name. You can use that paycheck as a monument to your name. You can use that vacation as a monument to your name. You can use your giftedness, your talent, your ability as a monument to your name. Humanity will always want to build towers to say, look at me. But what God made us to do is to say, no, look at him. Look at him, and I'm singing this song because all glory and all honor go to him. Worship is a song about God's glory, number four. Worship is a song about God's power. It's a song about God's power. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might. Might is the expression of the power that is contained within God. Power is a strength and might is the visible expression of that strength. So I've come to a realization. I think it's the same realization that those people in the plain of Shinear would tell us today. We can either get on board with God's power or we can be disciplined by it. You and I can either have that moment where we say, I, I'm going to lay down all of my power and all my strength. And even though I think I'm a pretty strong guy and I'm a put together guy and I got a few things going for me, I'm going to lay that down and I'm going to yield to your power, God, and your might and your strength. You can either do that or you will experience his power and might and strength, but it will be aimed against you. And discipline, you may think, well, that sounds like a terrible thing, but the scripture tells us, no, he disciplines those whom he loved. He, he tore down that tower. He dispersed them from the plains of Shinar. Why? Because they were going to just wreak evil and evil and evil and evil and evil. So it's for humanity's good that he dispersed them. And you've experienced that. If you've been on this journey with God for more than just a bit, you've experienced the joy of having his power in your sails for you. And you've also known the pain of having his power and strength be aimed against you. Because that's not a road that he wanted you to go down. That's not a choice that he wanted you to make. His discipline came. But when we worship, what we're saying is, God, I know I I see your power, I see your strength, and I yield to it, I cooperate with it, I receive it. We see this consistently through the scripture that moments where God showed his great power, there usually came a song. 
remember the Israelites needed to be rescued out of slavery in Egypt. We talked about that last week. And they start leaving Egypt after that 10th plague. And remember what happens? Pharaoh changes his mind. And he gets his army and he starts t- chasing down the Israelites because he woke up and he's like, well, I just let go all of my free labor and it's better for business to have free labor. And so he goes and he goes to bring him back and the Israelites get stuck between a Pharaoh army and a sea body of water and you remember what happened Moses raises up his hands and God parts the Red Sea and they walk across on dry land and then when they get on the other side Moses puts down his hands and all the water crashes down on Pharaoh's army you know what they immediately do next they sing a song they sing a song about the power of God which is what we do on Sunday morning we come together with our collective stories Stories of pain, but God brought us through the pain. Stories of miracles. Stories about provision and patience and goodness and mercy and forgiveness. And we bring all our stories together and we sing songs about the power of God who was able, able to make all those things happen for us. A true worship song is a song about God's power. At my church growing up, when there would be a fifth Sunday in the month, we had a thing called Fifth Sunday Night Sing. You don't know what that is because we don't even have Sunday night church around here. But back in the day, you went to church a bunch of times. That was like the story. You go as much as possible. And the more you went, the more Jesus loved you. That was kind of the thing. And so on the fifth Sunday, though, it wasn't the normal sermon and the normal thing. Anybody who wanted to sing could sing. And we had a potluck after church was over. So you'd bring your favorite cheesy casserole, just nothing but cheese. That's how, that's how we got obese in this country as Baptists. That's how we got obese. As Baptists have been eating cheesy casseroles since the Lord Jesus himself ascended up into heaven. And so on the fifth Sunday night, you could sing because not everybody was getting in the worship band or the choir that you had to have some giftedness, but it was a free for all on the fifth Sunday of every month. And you could sing a song by yourself. You could sing a song with some friends. You could sing a hymn. You could put a cassette in, push play, sing along with the cassette. You could bring a musical instrument. It was pretty much whatever that you wanted to do. And there was a man who would sing every fifth Sunday night. He was an older man in our church. His name was Walt. And Walt is with the Lord, and uh, I hope that his kids don't listen to the podcast because Walt was awful. (laughs) Awful. He'd bring that guitar up and he'd plug it in. And, you know, that's a sign of a true musician. When they plug their guitar in, you don't hear it. But the amateur, when they plug that in, it goes, and Walt would plug it in and make a loud noise. and, And then he'd start strumming, sort of, I think. And the song was never totally in the rhythm with the words that he was saying, and he just couldn't sing. And, He'd sing a hymn a lot. He'd sing, uh, He Leadeth Me, or he'd sing Amazing Grace, or In the Garden. He'd sing something. And Walt was terrible, but Walt was beautiful, and nobody dreaded when it was Walt's turn. Because I think he cried every time he sang, which contributed to the fact that it wasn't any good. (laughs) You know, Walt didn't know how to sing, but he knew how to worship. Most of us would say we, we can't sing. You know, we sing real soft so that the person right in front of us can't hear how bad we sing. The others of us were like, no, that's my concert moment. I want to sing right into their ear. And turn around, look at the person right now behind you. They've been a blessing to you, I'm sure. We think, I can't sing. I, I don't know how to play an instrument. 
Neither did Walt, but he knew how to worship. Worship is, is, is simple. It's, it's God has already done enough for us to worship from this time until that time when we're gathered together with every nation and every tribe and every people. I'm gonna be there. Hopefully you're gonna be there. And we're gonna sing the song to the one on the throne and to the lamb. And we're gonna say blessing and glory, thanksgiving and honor, power and might. The great thing is, 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 is what we do on Sunday is just a, it's just an appetizer. It's just a foretaste. It's a preview of that moment. Worship, it's, 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 does not, you don't have to be good at it for it to be good. It's just a song of trust, a song of thanks, a song about God's glory, and a song about his power. So we're going to worship together this morning a little bit more. Whether you can sing a lot or you can sing a little, we can all worship today. Why don't you stand to your feet? I'm going to pray. God, we thank you for your word, how your word teaches us the hows and the whys and the whats. So we want to sing these songs differently than maybe even we sang the songs before. And in these next songs, we're declaring our trust. And in these next songs, we're declaring our thanks and in your glory and your power. We're acknowledging all that, God, because you're worthy of it. You're worthy. And we want to sing forever and ever and ever. We say amen. We say let it be. Let it be. In Jesus' name we pray.